This morning I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to mix it up a little bit today. Today we rejoice in the baptisms of two young believers and the induction of one Andrew Young. Whether entering the water or entering the ministry, each of us are here this morning as an act of worship. And one of the components of worshipping our Lord Jesus Christ, I want to draw to your attention this morning, is the notion and the necessity of beholding the Lord Jesus Christ, which we'll read of in just a moment. I want to bring a message this morning to each and every one of us, to you two gals getting baptized, to you, Andrew, entering into pastoral ministry, and all of us here in the hope that we would begin to appropriate even more the reality of being transformed by the glory of Jesus Christ. We'll look at what that means and the significance of that as we journey through verse 18. And we'll then conclude our time with some words from the text to Andrew. This is a very special Sunday. I want to begin reading in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 through to verse 6 of chapter 4. Our focus will be primarily upon verse 18 and a couple of verses in chapter 4. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the spirit fail to be even more with glory. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For if indeed what had glory in this case, in this case has no glory because of the glory that has surpassed it. For if that which fades away, which was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened for until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, verse 18, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received as a mercy, we do not lose heart. 
But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we Acknowledge that you are indeed a holy God, a God who abounds in glory and majesty. And so we come now as your people around your word, worshiping your son. And Lord, we pray that you would accomplish much in this hour. We beg and ask for your help. For without you, we can do nothing. Would your spirit move among us, illuminate and guide truth to us and reveal to us greater glimpses of your glory would you use me your servant feeble as i am in jesus name amen the phrase over it you ever said that (laughs) i've had enough what about that one or i've had it up to here What about that one? (laughs) Uh, Each are somewhat common phrases that we use from time to time when we are fed up with something in our lives. Whether it's that loud, persistent noise, that long, drawn-out drama, or whatever it may be, we've all said such things. But a question now, how often have you looked at your remaining sin not the sin of others, but your own sin, and said with that same type of indignation, I'm over it. I've had enough. I've had it up to here. From time to time, like me, I'm sure that you have, as the Spirit of God has prompted you. But if we're honest with our hearts, I don't think we do so enough. And yet, if we took that same exasperation which the challenges of life and dramas of life bring us, and we took that same exasperation and aggression and directed it toward our own remaining sin, whether of our mind or of our mouth, of our heart or of our hand, we would begin to live in a way that pleases Christ, a Christ who calls us to cut it off and to pluck it out and progress on our journey toward ever increasing in His image. And what I want to show you today is that we are afforded, as the children of God, the grandest of privileges to do exactly that. To live ever increasingly more and more like Jesus Christ in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our trials, in our blessings, in our church. Now, I am not saying that we will sever from all sin for that will not happen until we go to be with the Lord in eternity. But what I am saying is that when we truly grasp 
the truth of what the Apostle Paul is saying here in verse 18, we will then march toward a holiness without which, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 tells us, we simply will not see the Lord. So what I want to try and do on this very special Sunday is bring a message for each and every one of us here, including, as I said, you two ladies here and that are about to enter the water and Andrew, who is about to enter the ministry and for each and every one of us. I want to focus our attention for the next little while on verse 18. Let's read it again together. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as from the Lord, the spirit. We'll pull out of verse 18, three headings. I want to give those to you up front. Number one, we'll see the philosophy regarding transformation. We'll see number two, the resources that ensure transformation. And third and final, we'll see the dynamics of transformation. And it should say at this point, when we speak of transformation, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone and you turn away from your sin, we are indeed transformed then and then. There is a regeneration, a, a, a thing that happens, a supernatural work that happens inside our heart. So we are transformed there positionally, but we are called in the Christian life to be transformed progressionally. And what we're talking about this morning when we talk about being transformed is being transformed progressionally. And as we've gone through Mark, you've seen and we've seen time and time again how that gospel of Mark, line by line, yells out to us, look to Jesus, time and time again. And as I've read the works of the Puritans, John Owen and John Flavel, who centered their entire ministries around this great truth of the sanctifying work of a robust and biblical Christology. And as I've revisited the works of my dear friend, Mike Riccardi, of whom I want to tell you right off the bat, along with Owen and Flavel, has been where I have drawn much of my thinking surrounding this passage and the flow of thought for this message. You see, it's too important not to share. As I've been stirred in my heart even more of the utter necessity that it be lived out by all of us. We saw in Mark chapter 8 verse 34 that to carry your cross and follow Jesus is to live satisfied in Jesus. Well, What I want you to see now is to be satisfied in Jesus is to be continually progressing more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And we all need that, do we not? To be more like him. I mean, I've had enough of me. I have me. I've had me up to here. I no longer want this to be about me. Instead, I want to be about him. I am satisfied in him. I want to treasure him. This was the cry of the heart of the John the Baptist, was it not? Who lost his head for a fixed devotion to Christ. And what did he say? He said, I must decrease and the Lord Jesus Christ must increase. And the paradox is the more he increases in your life because of your increased knowledge of him, which leads to an increased affection for him, you begin to see just how much you're not like him. That's the paradox. And oddly, that's a very good thing. 
We need to be ever seeing and in an ever increasing fashion the areas of our life where we are not like him. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is your transformation. Now, I understand the whole idea of being sanctified by beholding the glory of the Lord can be very confusing and tricky to grasp. And so I want to, though feeble as my attempt will be, to help bridge the gap there, to help connect those dots. So as we go along, that'll be my aim with the Lord's help to aid you in the appropriation and to aid me in the appropriation of this truth in order to grasp this truth. And so let's begin by looking at number one, the philosophy regarding transformation. Note in the middle of verse 18, the word transformed there. It's from where we get the word metamorphosized. It's like when a caterpillar comes out of the cocoon, a butterfly. Metamorphosism, if that's even a word, has taken place. Yet as we consider the principle of being transformed, we need to ask ourselves a question, where does this transformation take place? I mean, it's not as though we are being transformed on the outside, being made more like Christ by having wrinkles and gray hair or being follically challenged as I am and being up here, some of you are. Instead, the transformation in verse 18 is speaking about, obviously, an inward change in the heart. I want you to glance ahead to verse 16 of chapter 4 for a moment. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, wrinkles, gray hair, follically challenged, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Listen to Paul in Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Again, listen to Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, the inside. So as we think about transformation into Christ-likeness, we need to understand that our progression in holiness is not solely, now understand this, is not solely about bringing our external behaviors into conformity with a type of external standard that we created. An example, we shouldn't think that the aim of the Christian life and growth in Christ-likeness comes down to more church attendance, more service in the church, sharp dress and a Bible tucked under your arm accompanied by pleasant speech and a midweek Bible study and a prayer before bed. Now, for certain... When we are transformed on the inside, our external behavior will certainly change. But that is the fruit of the internal transformation taking place in our lives, not the other way around. Do not get that confused. So the philosophy or the principle of transformation does not consist primarily of changing our outward actions, but the changing of our hearts which then results in our outward actions changing. Often we get that back to front. We think that if we increase the outward, then the inward will change. 
But our hearts must be changed first. And we do that as Christ increases in our life, as we behold Him. The entire idea and philosophy of transformation into the likeness of Christ is that the more the inner man changes, the less sin that is prevalent in our life. Sins like poor responses. Ever committed one of those? Sins like defensive pride. Ever been given to that? Sins like anger or bitterness or selfishness and the like. We are transformed more the less these sins show up in our lives. Another important thing to understand as we consider this whole philosophy of transformation into greater holiness is the fact that transformation is predominantly God's work in us. Think again upon Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. It is God who is at work in you. It is God who is at work in you. And we see exactly that at the end of verse 18. Have a look there. Talks about this transformation into the same image, that's talking about into Christ's image, from one level of glory to the other. It says there at the end, just as from the Lord, the Spirit, the Spirit of God. And so we see at the end of verse 18 that it is the third member of the Godhead who is co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son, who brings about this transforming work, who brings about this change from one level of glory to the next. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14, God the Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of glory. And if I'm recalling correctly, Romans chapter 1, verse 4, calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of holiness. So with the Spirit of God so involved in the work of making us more like Christ, more holy, less sinful, we must also think of transformation as a supernatural work done to us. And if you stop for a moment and you think about the results of the work of the Spirit of God in the life of a believer, what is it that comes to mind? That is, what is the fruit that he brings to bear in the Christian life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, We are transformed because of the internal change taking place in our hearts by the work of the Spirit of God. That's the philosophy of transformation. But what about the how of transformation? How do we actually grow in in holiness? How do we go from this one level to the other? Well, that's where we pick up, number two, the resources that ensure transformation. Now, each of these resources we're about to go through really are, you would have heard them before, they really are what makes up and what is known as the available means of grace, that we must be making use of all the available means of grace. And for a good read on these, as I said earlier, get Mike's work on sanctification. If you don't have his book, it's in the bookstore. Head over after the service and grab it. We've seen at the end of verse 18 there, And just heard that this process of transformation comes from the Spirit of God. But our growth isn't simply all, and this is important to understand, our growth isn't simply let go and let God. 
where we just simply sit on our hands. Instead, we must, as has been well said, we must put ourselves in the Spirit's way in order for this ongoing and essential transformation to occur in our hearts and our lives as it ought. We need to be making use of these resources afforded to us by the Spirit of God. There are significant spiritual resources made available to us as the people of God, which serve really as the means of transformation. If it is, as the end of verse 18 says, that the supernatural work of God by the Spirit is what transforms us, then we need to ensure we live, do we not, a Spirit-filled life. And this next part that I'm about to mention is so very important. Why? Because it introduces the first of the five resources that we'll look at, that we must utilize. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we're called to live a spirit-filled life. And we see in the verses that follow, verses 19 and 20, the results of a spirit-filled life. That is, it says there that we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things. And then in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we're called to live a word-filled life. And we see there as well the results of living a word-filled life in the, in the portion that follows. Teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness to your hearts to God. And so what does that tell us? It tells us that in order to live a spirit-filled life, you must live a word-filled life. You cannot disconnect the two. And so the first resource that ensures ongoing transformation is, quite simply, the Scripture. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 17, sanctify them, that is, transform them by your truth, by the truth. Your word is truth. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow. That is, you may be transformed. So number one, the scripture. The second resource that ensures continual transformation into Christ-likeness is prayer. We must ask God for the wisdom to navigate away from the things in our life that displease Him to the things that please Him. We often are, are we not, overwhelmed with temptation, navigate, flooded with despair as we face trials, both of which can give birth to sin in our lives due to our sinful responses. And as we pray, we find, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, mercy and grace in that very time of need. Another resource often neglected in our individualistic and our very self-reliant culture is third, fellowship. Fellowship. Biblical fellowship. Biblical fellowship where we actually have the courage and the love to encourage one another to greater and greater holiness in our life. Fellowship both corporately as we're doing right now, fellowship during the week in small gatherings is a means of great transformation into Christ's likeness. An attitude of speak into my life, 
and an attitude matched with great wisdom and humility of allow me to speak into your life. We hinder our love for Christ and our love for others and our sanctification by a lack of biblical fellowship. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, and calls us to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, the point of that passage is not primarily about wagging the finger at those who don't attend church, but to urge those in the church to stir up one another to greater transformation into the likeness of Christ. Now, sure, we must assembly assemble ourselves, but the point of that passage is to urge those in the church to stir up one another. We're made holy when we fellowship with holy people. Next, the fourth resource that ensures transformation is, and I found this one interesting as I studied, providence. Providence. In the providence of God, that is, His providential hand, we find ourselves, do we not, in trials and afflictions. James tells us that there will be many of them, that they'll come in different types. In James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4, we are called to consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. That is, that you may be transformed. That's transformation. I want you to turn over very quickly with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Just back one book, or two books. And have a look at verse 29, uh, 28, rather. Very familiar, but I want to show you. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. That's not a wholesale comprehensive description because it's a qualifier to those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. Verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He, also, he predestined, He also called, and those whom He called, He also justified. Sorry, I just jumped down to 29. Sorry, let me... Let me do that again. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To become conformed to the image of his son. To be transformed into the image of his son. To be made more like Jesus Christ is the ultimate goal. All circumstances, all trials, all of life's experiences, the good, the bad, the easy, the hard... They all have as their aim by the providence of God, hand delivered by His providential hand, to transform us into the image of His Son. There's one last resource that ensures transformation, and it is, fifth, obedience. You ask, well, how is my obedience a resource? Good question. Let me show you. In John chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love. 
please note that Jesus there is not talking about the Mosaic law of the Ten Commandments found in the Old Covenant, but the law of Christ found in the New Covenant. That is, if we display love for God and love for our neighbors, that is others, which is the fulfillment of the law of Christ, we will abide in His love. And so what Jesus is saying is that if we live for Him, that is, if we obey Him, we increase in love for Him, and that has its transforming effect on us. How love for Christ expressed in our desire to want to live for him is the octane in the tank for holy living. So there they are, resources that are afforded to us as the people of God, which ensure transformation. Is the cry of your heart toward your own sin, even this morning, And yesterday, I'm over it. I've had enough of it. I've had it up to here. That is the cry of every spirit-filled believer. If there's little growth or if there's a stagnation in growth, it's because you are not getting in the way of the Spirit's means to sanctify you, those resources. It is, after all, the Spirit who transforms us and takes us from one level of glory to the next. So it's important to understand that while we can't do the spirit surgery on our own heart, and I hope you understand that, while we can't do that, that's his job, we can ensure we get on in his way and onto his surgery table. And we do that by making use of these means we just went through. But here now is where it all comes together. Here now is where the rubber hits the road. Here is the engine room, without which none of it works. Engine room. And it's this. Number three, the dynamics of transformation. Look again at our verse this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding it as a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. We find in here the very heartbeat, the sine qua non, the essential dynamic. And really, where each of these resources we just looked at find their very anchor and their expression. And that is in the beholding of the glory of the Lord, Jesus Christ. And I'll explain what that means in just a moment. But grasp this concept first. To behold is to intently observe and to study with the purpose to know. That's what you need to think of the word behold. It is to intently observe and to study with the purpose to know. So what Paul is telling us here in verse 18 is that we, as we behold, that is, observe intently Jesus Christ, we are transformed progressively into the likeness of Christ. Remarkable, really. We've looked so far at what transformation is, the philosophy. We've looked at how we play our part in it, the resources that are afforded to us. But unless we grasp 
what Paul is saying there in verse 18 and grasp the immensity of this truth, we will miss this great truth. I want you to consider now with me the verse, the context of verse 18. We read for the most part of it earlier. Verses 4 through to 17 concerning Moses and the old covenant. Moses was the leader of the Israelites and in the events leading up to the giving of the law to Israel, Exodus 33, Moses, really aware of his need for help in, this, in his life, prays, show me your glory. Exodus 34, Moses climbs up the mountain. The Lord passed by him and as he passed by, the Lord proclaimed his attributes, saying, the Lord God is compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in love, in kindness and truth, but who will not allow the guilty to go unpunished? And so we see from that, that God's glory is expressed in his attributes. Moses prayed, show me your glory. And what did God show him? He showed him his attributes. And then as Moses came down off Mount Sinai, what happened? The skin of his face was shining. It terrified the priests and all the people of Israel. And so Moses put a veil over his face to conceal the glory that he was reflecting off his face. And so look now in 2 Corinthians 3, what Paul does to show just how more glorious the new covenant and the Christ of the new covenant is. This portion here is full of contrast. But if the ministry of death in letters, verse 7, engraved on stones came with glory, that's talking about the old covenant, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit, that's the ministry of the new covenant, fail to be even with more glory? For if the ministry of condemnation, that is the ministry of the old covenant, has glory, how much more does the ministry of righteousness, that's the ministry of the new covenant, abound in glory? For indeed, what had glory, the old covenant, in this case, has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. In other words, the glory of the new covenant is so abounding that it makes the glory of the old covenant insignificant or no longer remaining. Verse 11 For that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Verse 12, as a new covenant minister and new covenant believers, verse 12, therefore, having such hope, we use great boldness in our speech. We're not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face. It goes on, contrast between two covenants. The glory of the old covenant that fades away, but the glory of the new covenant remains. The ministry of the spirit that is the new covenant is far more glorious. Paul is saying here that the glory that was expressed outwardly on the face of Moses is in contrast with the glory that is expressed inside the heart of a person, the believer who with unveiled face looks upon Jesus Christ. You see, the crucial dynamic of transformation is to look upon Christ. 
No wonder the author of Hebrews calls us to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Why? Because we see in Him the glory of God on display. When Peter, James and John, you remember from Mark, witnessed Jesus' transfiguration up on that mountain, what did John go on to write? He went on to write in John chapter 1 verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Simply put, in the beholding is the transforming. To become like Him, you need to behold Him. And again, to behold His glory is to intently know Him, who He is. Which begs the question, does it not? How do we behold His glory? How do we behold His glory? Now, time and time again, when we look in Scripture, we kind of think the answer to matters like this needs to be some mystical thing. That surely it simply cannot be so simple and ordinary. But always remember that God uses ordinary means to accomplish extraordinary things. He didn't write his book in the sky. He wrote it in a book. And so we behold the transforming glory of the Lord Jesus Christ by going to the place his glory is beheld. And that is in the living and active and spirit inspired word of God. Because what happens when we come living a spirit-filled life, when we come obediently, when we come in fellowship with other believers, when we come in prayer, is that we read the Scriptures with all our spiritual faculties engaged. And we then grow. Because what we read increases in the knowledge of Jesus. And then because of what we learn about Him, our affections are inflamed for Him, which then drives our wills to want to live for Him. And when we want to live for Him, we then live in white-hot worship and adoration of Him. And transformation is the result. We are then living out this truth in verse 18. In all our strivings in this Christian life, the beholding of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ is at the very epicenter. To every other resource and means afforded to us. And there is no greater place on earth in this new covenant age where the glory of God is beheld than in the word of God. Because think about it. Even as we pray. We are drawn to praise his beauty and his attributes, which were revealed to us in Scripture. Even as we meditate upon him, we meditate on what has been revealed to us in Scripture. Even as we fellowship with other believers who themselves are being transformed 
from one level of glory to the other. We are transformed ourselves because we see Christ in them. And the reason we know we see Christ in them is because Christ has been revealed to us in the Scripture. Even when we look upon creation and marvel about how it reveals the glory of God, we know from Scripture, Colossians 1.16, that by Jesus all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth. And so the ultimate dynamic in increasing in Christ's likeness and, decre- and decreasing in sin and sinful responses is to look intently upon the person and work of Jesus Christ and behold His glory in the place His glory is beheld, the Word of God. We must take this dynamic, grasp the importance and the immensity of it, and run with it, and value it, and prioritize it. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 8, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. As we gaze intently upon Him, we become more like Him. John Owen wrote, quote, let, us live in the constant compl- comp- let us live in the constant contemplation of the glory of Christ, and virtue will proceed from Him and repair all our decays, renew a right spirit within us, and cause, to, cause us to abound in all duties of obedience, It will fix the soul unto the object which is suited to give it delight and satisfaction. End quote. Let me put it this way. As you bury your face in the Word of God, asking the Lord by His Spirit to reveal truth to you, you will be face to face with Christ. And in His face is the glory of God. And what did Moses learn on that mountain? He learned that the glory of God is seen in the attributes of God. And so by studying, remember, it's not just let go and let God. By studying the riches of Christ, his pre-incarnation, when he was with the Father in eternity past, His incarnation where He took on human flesh. His teachings where He teaches truths so immense that they make your heart burst. His miracles who validated who He is. His arrest and His trials where He had every right to demand His own right, but He didn't do so. By His active obedience where our righteousness comes from. His death and His atonement where He died a death that we could never die and He paid a price that we could never pay. His resurrection and His ascension. His ministry as the glorified Christ where He intercedes for us. His role in the rapture. His judgment seat. His second coming. His millennial reign. His great white throne judgment. His role in all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth where we will be like Him and see Him fully. Not just through the imperfection of a mirror, but we will see Him fully and then be fully 
like Him. As you look intently at all of that and more. For in each and every one of those is an abundance of treasure. As you look intently at all of that, your affections for Him will be taken to new heights. Never rest on your laurels. And your transformation into His image will be taken from one level to the next. It will be certain, it will be steady, and it will be observable. It will not be perfect, it will be stumble trip. But as you do all that, He will increase. And ourselves, and our sin, and our sinful responses will decrease. Oh, the cry of our remaining sin will still be, I'm over it. I've had it up to here. I want it gone. But we will be more like Christ, able now to see the sin that we never saw before. And so the journey of transformation goes on until we're ushered into glory and we see Him face to face. But until then, look down at verse 6 of chapter 4. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And where is it found? It is found in the face of Jesus Christ. Until we're ushered into glory, we can give thanks to God because He turned the lights on. So we can now look upon the face of Jesus and in His face we see the transforming glory of God. Andrew. A special day. I had on my own heart. I had my own heart and the heart of these people in mind as I preached and studied. And I want to close with just a few quick words to you. As Paul penned 2 Corinthians He was in the darkest and most difficult season of his life. He was deep in the trenches of ministry. And as a new covenant minister, he knew full well that he had received this ministry as a gift. Verse 1, chapter 4. Since we have this ministry as we have received it as a mercy, as a grace, as a gift. And because of that, even in the midst of much pain and much hardship, he did not lose heart. We don't lose heart in the ministry. We received it as a gift. And he says in verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That we are just earthen vessels and that the greatness of ministry is not in and of ourselves but in the power of God. Because when it is, verse 8, we can be afflicted in every way but we will not be crushed. We can be perplexed but we will not despair. 
We can be persecuted, but we will not be forsaken. We can be struck down, but we will not be destroyed. As new covenant ministers, we always carry about in our body the dying of Jesus. So 2 Corinthians was the hardest part of Paul's life and ministry. I learned that this week. I didn't realize that was the case in his life. And what this passage tells us is that he got through the hardship by beholding the glory of Christ. Andrew, you must do that. I must do that. And we all must do that. It is a transforming glory. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and give you great thanks. Lord, we are a people so desperate, so prone to wander, but we have an unveiled face. We behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we are being transformed into the same image as Jesus from one level of glory to the other and it comes about as from the Lord, the Spirit. And so would you help us all to reckon this truth, to grasp this truth, to live out this truth, to be hearers and doers of your word. We give you great thanks for Tiara, for Bethany. We give you great thanks for the work you've done in their life. We give you great thanks for the work you've done in our life. We thank you for Andrew and Jenny and the family. We thank you for this church family. Great things you have done. Would you help us now to glorify you by beholding the glory of Jesus? And it's in his name we pray. Amen.